morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college basketball, the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 163. You ready for some rapid-fire fun facts after the conclusion of the Super Bowl this past weekend? Bengals running back Joe Mixon now has more touchdown passes in the Super Bowl over the last decade than Aaron Rodgers. Ouch. Odell Beckham Jr. now has as many receiving touchdowns with the Rams as he did during his entire tenure with the Browns. Ouch. Teams that chose to pass on the one-yard line in the final two minutes of regulation of the Super Bowl are now 1-1 one one all-time. And the team that loses <laughs> the opening coin to us has won the past eight straight Super Bowls. Stat that. Please sponsor us, Mr. Bezos. I like that uh, that pass the ball on the one yard line stat. That's probably my favorite one of those. Yeah, yeah. I still maintain that was the right decision. Though. Oh, it was. You yeah, you running game hadn't done anything all game, and Cooper Cup had either been getting a penalty right or wrong or catching everything all uh, all that drive. So just keep throwing it to him. Oh, I meant the Seahawks. Oh, oh no, the Seahawks one was not the right decision. You're wrong yes, about it was. that. No, it's not. You have Look the best running advanced, back in football. Look up his advanced stats on one and to go for that season. They weren't even that good. I'll, I'll pull him up some other time. I'll show you're, you. You're, you're overthinking it. Anyway, maybe the maybe that's a Cyclone men's basketball team problem too, is that they're overthinking things because they're just still not playing well. They had another 0-2 week this week. Um, they came out very, very slow against um, West Virginia and uh, never really were competitive in that game in the second half and lost 79 to 63. Um, sort of the exact opposite of what you normally see, right? The Cyclones this year have played really good first halves normally, and when they fell apart, it's been in the second half. But this one against West Virginia, they were, they were just never in it. Um, one that you really, really wanted to have, they were just never in it. Um, I didn't get to watch a whole ton of it. Um, I don't know if anybody else has, has more thoughts about that game, but... It's a road game in the Big 12. It doesn't really hurt. Just the fact that it's coming in the middle of this long losing streak um, makes every loss hurt. I, well, I mean, one thing that I'll speak to, and this is something that is getting to be, um, I mean, we've, we've spoken on it already, um, and I don't know how much more we can speak to it without something changing it's the points off turnovers that's becoming a huge issue early on in the season the cyclones when they turn the ball over it was a lot of dead ball turnovers uh something that was very helpful for ku to win that game in out in um uh not allen fieldhouse but hilton coliseum back when they played them is ku had 22 turnovers but they were all a lot of them were dead ball turnovers uh, the points off turnovers for the, in the West Virginia game, West Virginia had 23. Uh, that just kind of goes to to solidify what was a rough night for the Cyclones. I mean, they only turned the ball over 14 times compared to 18 by West Virginia. Uh, 14 is about the season average for Iowa State. But when you shoot a woeful 38% from the field, 28% from three-point land, and then you only convert 54% of your free throw attempts, um, there, there's not a lot of opportunity for you to get back into a game at all. West Virginia did have seven second chance points compared to four, but Iowa State won the won the points in the paint battle in that game, actually, uh, with West Virginia having a lot more size than Iowa State does. Um, it, 
it was just a it was a road game that Iowa State came out way too flat in. Uh, and it was something that uh, Coach TJ had talked about going into the K-State game is that the starting lineup changed uh, going into that K-State game because he was just looking for guys who would give them energy. I mean, uh, Jaden Walker played in the West Virginia game. Jaden Walker, who had only played, I don't know, I don't have the stats up. Uh, he had played maybe a handful of games this season, actually logging real minutes. A lot of that uh, in non-conference, he played 22 minutes in the game, which was something that was completely unexpected going into it. I mean, Gabe Kalsher only played 16 against West Virginia. Obviously, he had uh, there was a lack of energy there. Now, Gabe Kalsher played a lot more in the K-State game uh, with Jaden Walker logging a lot fewer minutes. We kind of went back to our standard um, standard starting lineup and rotation, except for the fact that Jazz Koontz started in that game. But one thing that I want to speak to is how many minutes Caleb Girl played. Uh, for playing 32 minutes, he had two points, eight rebounds, one assist. He was one of 12 from the floor. But here's the kicker. 0 of 9 from 3. And one thing that Ariane alluded to in, in a group message is when you get a guy like Caleb Grill or Gabe Kalsher, who are supposed to be your sharpshooters, and they, for between the three of uh, two of them, combine to be one for 12 in the game from three, you don't actually have sharpshooters anymore. The amount of times that they don't make those wide open threes is alarming. Um, the The thing that's crazy is, I mean, Blowing a 15-point lead at home to K-State is not not a good look for your team. When K-State is the lowest-ranked net team in the Big 12, they came into this game ranked 63 in the net. Um, it's This is a game that you have to win, uh, especially with a very big upcoming schedule when this team is now pushing the brink of being a tournament team. Uh, you go from, yeah, we're probably in the tournament, or at the beginning of the season, yeah, we're probably definitely going to be in the tournament if you win half of your Big 12 games to now ugh, you're struggling to find enough wins to maybe make it into the tournament. Um, on on paper, this is a game that Iowa State needed to win. At 41% from the field, 32% from three. That hurts a lot. They were 78% from the free throw line. They out-rebounded K-State. Uh, they had more assists than K-State. They did have a lot fewer steals. They had more turnovers. They won the points in the paint battle. They won the second chance point battle. Points off turnovers, they were only at, lagged behind one. Um, this is a game that you don't drop. You just don't. They just you imp- don't. They just imploded down the stretch. I What was it? I think it was like three out of four possessions where they just made a, a bad, lazy, or stupid pass out near the top of the key that turned into a K-State breakaway. Like, how do you do that? How does this team do that so often? Like, come to the ball if you're receiving the pass. Fire that pass off. Don't lollygag it in there. You got to fire that pass off. It was just lazy late in the game from this team. And, lazy and pass the, at the top of the key leading to turnovers. Gabe Kelser just walks the ball up the field and casually passes it to Isaiah Brockington. K-State defender read it all the way. Like, The lack of urgency and care that it looked like this team had going down the stretch 
they got punched in the face around 10 minutes left in the second half, and they never got it back together. They, di- they didn't. I mean, TJ called timeouts. They came out. They looked flat the whole time. Yeah, they made it into overtime, but they shouldn't have had to be in that situation anyway. And then when they got into overtime, K-State hit a shot and then a three, and it was over. Um, this game never should have been there. It should have been out of reach the entire game. Um, I, I just don't know where the energy comes from, but there is a lack of fight and a lack of will on this team. It kind of seems like uh, whenever they get punched in the mouth, they don't respond to it. Um, we'll see if they can respond this week. I mean, they've been punched in the mouth two weeks in a row, and they've they've really put themselves at odds. Uh, going at the time this episode airs, Iowa State will have already played their road game with TCU uh, this week. That that airs uh, or that game is played on Tuesday, February fifteenth, um, and then they have a a home game on Saturday versus OU uh, at one p.m. Just looking looking at their remaining schedule and the amount of must wins that you have to find what, maybe four wins in these last six games at TCU, home versus Oklahoma, home versus West Virginia at K-State, home versus Oklahoma State, and at Baylor. Discredit that last game. There's probably no way you're beating Baylor on the road. You have to win four of the next five. Maybe wow. maybe four of the next five for sure. Three of the next five are, you know, put you in a situation where you're probably okay. But do you see three wins in the next five games? I mean, I, I don't know. Win your home games, right? If you can defend Hilton, all three of those teams you play at Hilton are very, very beatable. I'm not saying we'll win, but it's not like this this home stretch is full of juggernauts, right? If you can defend your home court, that gets you three more wins. And if this team gets three more wins, they'll be on the bubble. We'll be sweating on Selection Sunday, but if this team can get three more wins... Um, they'll be on the bubble at least. Um, so that that's my key is defend Hilton. Um, and but these games, these games time. aren't going to be these games are going to be easy. You already lost your easiest home game left on your schedule, and that's that's where this team shot themselves in the foot. I think um, K State is a little bit of a trap team, though. They started off Owen what Owen four, and they're six and seven now. Like they yeah, six and three in their last games. Like they had a tough time starting. I do think they had some issues with COVID to start. So I, I think we undervalue them a little bit. I'm not saying we should have lost, but they're better than people give them credit for. And they've played really fantastic in their last three, four games. K State is on the back end of the bubble conversation right now. Yeah. Um, so if, if we look at the the bracket mate bracketmatrix.com, which is a great site, by the way, for the next month. They can also sponsor us if they want. Um, yes. K-State is in, basically they compile every bracketologist. They have like, they have 110 bracketologists that they put on here. And K-State is in the tournament right now in five of those. So still not often, but right, they're not out of the tournament conversation by any means. K-State is not like a Nebraska or, or an Oklahoma State who are really just bad. In my opinion, I think Oklahoma State's bad. You guys can disagree, but um, right. K-State, I mean, at least at least Nebraska has an opportunity to make the tournament, though, because right. they don't have a postseason ban. True. 
Um, but yeah, so yes, it's a game you want to win, but like Arian said, it's not like they're awful. Um, so something interesting that I noticed just going back to the West Virginia game for a second, uh, generally the story of this team has been no matter how many shots it takes, basically, uh, Isaiah Brockington is going to get all the points. And that was definitely not the case in that game. Uh, Tyrese Hunter got 22 on 7 of 15, and Brockington had 11 on 4 of 12. Uh, we've kind of seen that as a trend. He's been a little bit less efficient. He's forcing things up as he realizes it's basically all up to him. But what I found really interesting was that our bench got 28 points on 10 of 21 shooting. So, like, we actually got pretty good help from the guys off the bench. Koontz didn't shoot great, but he was... I mean, he's one for six for three and two for seven overall, but Condit was two for four. Walker was two for four. Grill was four for six, all from three point. So if that was a game we were going to win, we needed our starters to do well, and it did not happen. Jones was 0 of two. Eden Runa, one of three. Kalsher put up another game where he didn't make a single field goal, which is unfortunately common. But the starter shot 12 of 37 and the bench shot 10 of 21. So for once, the guys who came off the bench and the guys who were starting kind of swapped those places and they needed more help from the starters. We were just never in that game from the beginning. And after we lost kind of our feel there, like it stayed pretty steady. We just were never in it enough to catch up. Also, nobody should ever name their kid Polly Polycap. And if I have to hear that name again, I'll turn the game off. You'll probably hear it when we play West Virginia at home in a couple of weeks. I, I really don't want to. What a ridiculous name. Yeah, but as, as we're talking about the bubble, I just want to get in here. At that same bracket matrix, right? Iowa State is still in the tournament in 105 out of the 110 bracketologists on that site. Um, so we're certainly not comfortably in. Um, right now, according to the bracket matrix, we'd be a nine seed um, with – Seeds ranging anywhere from out, of course, in five brackets, um, all the way still being a six seed in one of the brackets. So this team um, will be a very interesting case study in wins versus losses. Do you value good wins or do you value bad losses more when well, you're seeding someone? This team, if you look at the net rankings, this team doesn't have any bad losses. If you look at the net rankings, right? So Iowa State. Um, at the start of, of play Tuesday is ranked 43rd in the net. But it only has two losses outside of quad one, and they're both quad two losses. Those aren't bad losses in You're quad right. two. I guess I should rephrase as a failure to capitalize. Yes. Like there were, off the top of your head, three to five games that we probably should have won, and we'd been in a lot better situation. They yes. had the chances, and they kind of missed it. It feels bad because you know they have a little bit more in them. Right. It's the question is going to be number of wins versus quality of wins, right? Right. So there, there are very limited. Iowa State has seven quad one wins as of right now. The only teams with at least that many are um, Marquette, who also has seven, Wisconsin, who has seven, Purdue, who has seven, Auburn, who has seven, Kansas with eight, and Baylor with nine. That's it. That's the entire list of teams with more quad one wins than Iowa State. So it's going to be, right, since they have so many good quality wins, they might not need as many wins, period, to get in. It'll be an interesting case to see what the selection committee does. 
do you pick a team with more wins but less good wins or or do you pick a team like Iowa State? So we'll keep an eye on that and we'll see how this week goes. This week uh, should probably tell us a lot. If Iowa State can at least split the two games this week, they'll still be on the bubble. Two losses and it'll be it'll be bad news. You got to at least get a split this week. Um, on the women's side, um, they are good. They are really, really good. They dominated TCU um, this week. Um, I'm not even going to go into details of that game. They pretty much destroyed them. TCU is bad. Um, they moved all the way up to number six in the AP poll. It's their highest ranking in at least the last 20 years. Um, so this women's team is special. Um, Ashley Jones um, is probably going to break the Iowa State career point scored record in the next game. Um, she is four points behind Bridget Carlton for second and 11 points behind um, Angie Edinger for, um, for first. Um, so she will probably break that um, in Wednesday's game against Texas. Maybe it will take until Saturday against OU, but hopefully um, it's broken during Texas. Um, speaking of these games, um, this is a huge week for the Cyclone women. Um, they were number seven in the committee um, committee's top 16 reveal, which means they'd be um, a two seed in the tournament if the season would have ended. This was in the middle of last week. Um, they would have been a two seed, which is really, really good. That would be phenomenal. Um, but this week, they can definitely improve on that. Um, they play at number 14, Texas, Wednesday at 7 p.m. on Longhorn Network, possibly also on ESPN3 as well, maybe if you get lucky. Um, and then on Saturday, they get number 15, OU at home, um, 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Those are two um, just huge games. Um, if the Cyclones win both of those, um, not only will they be in the driver's seat to win the Big 12 regular season title, they might be able to creep up into a one-seed conversation. What do you guys think? Could the Cyclones uh, creep into a one-seed here? I mean, I definitely I definitely think they can. I think it's going to take, you know, a little bit of help from those above them. But, I mean, look at their remaining schedule. You got these top twenty, top fifteen matchups this week. You have to play Baylor one more time, uh, and then you're playing at least one of those teams, if not two of those teams, in the Big Twelve tournament as well. I mean, so you have three more opportunities for quad one wins, um, the in top fifteen wins, even at that. Uh, if you look at the teams ahead of them, I was kind of. Uh, laying this out for the Cyclones, they they the teams ahead of them are a little set between the top four, with South Carolina being the clear favorite uh, on the women's side, Stanford being second, with South Carolina already beating Stanford this season. Then you got Louisville, NC State. Um, both of those teams have pretty easy remaining schedules uh, left. NC State does have one. Uh, road matchup versus a top 25 fringe team in Virginia Tech left on the season. But Iowa State, if they can if they can win both of their games this week, they're moving up. Uh, and they might even move up with just one win this week as the team directly ahead of them, Indiana, uh, who's number five right now, lost to a 19-6 and six Nebraska team by almost 20 points. Uh, and then they, they have another home game in which they have an opportunity to lose. Indiana has a tough schedule where they also have to play um, top 25 Iowa twice uh, in the span of t 
three days to finish out the season. And then they travel to a top 15 Maryland team as well. So the Cyclones, I mean, if they win out, they're a top five team. But winning out isn't an easy, uh, is no easy task right now um, when you look at the Big 12 standings because they're still, they're still that one game up on OU right now in Big 12 conference play. Iowa State sitting at 10 and 2, OU at 9 and 3, but then Baylor's knocking at the door at 9 and 3 as well. Um, and Texas being at seven and five after slipping a little bit in conference play, it can be done, but there's still a long road ahead and you got to kind of take these games one game at a time right now. Yeah. And we will fill you in all on the big week, um, coming up on next week's episode. Um, but of course we'd be remiss if we did not talk about the Super Bowl um, on this podcast. I'm sure all of you are aware the Super Bowl happened. Um, on Sunday, I assume all of you are aware that the Rams won that Super Bowl. Um, if you're not, well, spoiler alert: the Rams won the Super Bowl um, on a on a on a late drive, as we as we mentioned um, on that touchdown pass to Cooper Cup. Twenty three twenty was the final. Um, everybody, just give me your thoughts on the game. What what do you guys got? Commercials were all really bad. There but was some the E Trade babies, E Trade babies are back, guys. That's true. I know. I was but excited. Overall, about I that. was disappointed. Did you did you all help crash uh, crash Coinbase's website when they floated that I, QR code? I hate that I was a part of that. Yes, Dude, I did. I hate it. that it got me. I also did it. I was really uh, happy that the end uh, at the end of that commercial, they actually did go into the corner though, like perfectly. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was it, smart. It was good. good Sadly good, enough, good marketing that was probably technique. the most interesting commercial that I saw. And it was literally <laughs> a blank screen with a QR code that changed colors. Right? That, that's Bouncing that's across. Sad. And what's almost even more sad is I feel like the game itself also is not that interesting. Like, I mean, I watched the whole game, right? And the highlights from the game are, are just relatively moot, I think. I don't know. It just wasn't like the huge spectacular game that I was expecting to see, I suppose it was just kind of a, almost a lame game. I don't know what I mean, you guys thoughts were. I guess if you don't like defense, I mean, we knew the teams coming in, uh, the Rams are hugely defensive based and honestly, we didn't give them a lot of credit, but throughout the deep, throughout the playoffs, the single, the Bengals defense have been really good too. I mean, they've held a lot of good teams to not a ton of points. Um, I thought it was interesting. I think the longest run by the Rams was like six yards and it was by their quarterback. And you think about last time they were there with Todd Gurley, it really kind of shows you maybe you don't need to pay a running back that much money. As much as I love running backs, that might not be something that people really need to do anymore if you can get that value from somebody else. My biggest takeaway from the game was just that we had four flags all game and then we had four flags and three plays at the end of the game and it just brought a big spotlight to consistency and we have these terms like it's a playoff game especially in the NBA and the NFL as well you know you let them play because it's a playoff refereeing you know you get to play a little harder but then at the end of the game they just decide to change it and you got people grabbing people's face masks and arms and throwing them on the ground and not getting called and pulling shirts all the way across the end zone and not getting called. And then and what, in my opinion, was pretty much perfect defense coming across the middle. They flag that as pass interference and it just confuses players and they don't know how to play. And 
I just don't love that that's how the game ends on a fresh set of downs for what I don't even think was a hold and most definitely was not a hold the way they've been calling it the entire game. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with the level of inconsistency that there was. Um, I thought it was I, I thought it was interesting not having that many flags. I mean, the first flag on Cincinnati was a injured player running onto the field to celebrate an interception. Like, yeah, you know, how do you do that? How does that happen? Yeah, that's, that's and really, really dumb. It, it's so stupid. I, I saw him out there and I'm like, oh, you idiot. Well, there it is. There's your first penalty of the game for the Bengals. Um, I would agree a little bit with the sentiment that, that Wyatt um, laid out. I There were often times where I found myself finding Twitter a lot more interesting. Either Chiefs players absolutely torching Eli Apple on Twitter uh, after he went off on them trying to start a lot of uh, controversy after the Bengals Chiefs game, or just the fact of Twitter blowing up after the uh, halftime show, which Mike loves to watch. Um, one thing instead of watching the halftime show would recommend it was really good though my crib i lost my cribbage game it was not really good unfortunate for you well to i mean the thing that i that goes to show to echo what arian said is maybe you don't have to pay a running back that that much money i you had a host of running backs for the rams that didn't do a whole lot but when the game really mattered at the end, when the Rams needed that touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, I'm, Matt Stafford had one person to throw to, and it was Cooper Cup. And he force-fed the ball to Cooper Cup all the way down to the field, down the field for a touchdown. It can be done when you have one fantastic wide receiver. Uh, it just goes to show that maybe a no-look pass is what it takes to get that get that team and get that spark going. Which, by the way. I would just like to say, being a Chiefs fan, yeah, Mahomes can throw a no-look pass. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Matt Stafford needs more credit for that no-look pass. I encourage all of our listeners to try and go on Twitter and find that. Uh, I, if I can get it, I'm going to have Ariane throw it up on our Twitter for us. Uh, that no-look pass by Matt Stafford was absolutely incredible, mind-boggling. Uh, he he did it. I mean, one year leaves leaves a crappy franchise. Sorry, Detroit, but you do suck. Uh, and goes to the Rams for a prove it, go win, go win your Super Bowl type season. And now he has as many championships as Aaron Rodgers. Um, so it it can be done. I thought the game was a little bit boring, but when it mattered, the stars showed up. Aaron Donald uh, virtually ended the game. Von Miller was uh, fantastic, making a lot of plays, getting on his way to his second Super Bowl. Um, and Odell Beckham kind of adds a, a, a little bit of a storybook ending to his uh, a little bit tumultuous uh, career in the NFL so far, I'll say. So it was a, it was an interesting game. Uh, you know, that's that stadium's pretty incredible, though. So, yeah, I think all 12 Rams fans would have been complaining a lot had they lost being down Higby and Beckham and Woods. You basically only have one pass catcher left. I mean, their backup tight end basically threw the ball to another guy on the other team. So, you know, it's glad that Stafford could pull that through, especially given how he's wasted most of his career in Detroit. Uh, so I was happy to see that for sure. I will say I see a lot of people saying, oh, well, that's OK. Burroughs will be back. Burrow will be back. He'll they'll get another chance. I'm like, why do you assume that? 
Aaron Rodgers has only been to one Super Bowl. Drew Brees only went to one Super Bowl. Dan Marino went to one Super Bowl. Why are we assuming that Joe Burrow is so different? We talked a couple episodes ago about how great all these quarterbacks are in the AFC. But we're just saying, he'll get back. I don't know that that's true. This might have been his one chance. So let's not assume anything just because they're ahead of schedule. Things can fall apart just as quickly as they can magically come together. They they do need an offensive line, though. I mean, seven sacks the Rams had. Um, again, the, the or, last one makes it eight sack on the last well, play was, anyway. was, I don't think that was a sack though. It was an incomplete pass. Oh, did he get the ball off? Okay. He got the ball off. So, so seven sacks in that game. I just looked it up on, uh, the score, not a sponsor yet. Uh, could be reach out to us. Um, the seven sacks on the game for the Rams defense that ties a Super Bowl record, uh, for most, most sacks in a Super Bowl game. Um, Joe Burrow is going to need some help. I mean, they they forfeited going after five, I believe, in the draft uh, this previous year. I mean, they got Jamar Chase, who was fantastic for them this season. But they're going to need some help on that offensive line. Will it work again? Will they have the same type of season? Who knows? We also need to remember that, yes, Cincinnati was great, but they were playing a fourth place schedule this year. So... Next year will be a little bit different at when they play their first place schedule. Are they the same type of team? Do they have the same chemistry? Uh, we'll see how that all works. The stars kind of aligned for them this year um, to, for them to make it to the Super Bowl. Yeah, every year is different. Um, I don't think very many people would have predicted that uh, Rams Bengals Super Bowl at the beginning of the year. So we're not even going to try to predict uh, what might happen next year. We'll leave that. Uh, until next year's season starts. Also, congratulations to uh, Ariane for being the only one of us to actually pick the Rams to win. I'll give you a shout out for that. I was not drinking the Kool-Aid. They did cover the spread, though, so I give them credit there. True. They did do that. Um, it was a busy week with the NBA with the trade deadline um, that happened on Thursday. Ariane, can you fill us in on all of the trades? Yeah, very exciting week. We had quite a few big trades. I kind of wrote some down here to go over. Uh, I will not go over all of them because it was kind of busy, but just sitting some of the highlights. Obviously, we are a Cyclones very centric uh, podcast, so a big one that hit home and caused a lot of waves in the world of the NBA was the Kings trading Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson to the Kings for Demonis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holiday, and a 2027 second round pick. Um, a lot of people considered Tyrese Halliburton to be the best player on the Kings, the person they should be building around, uh, probably the most complete player they had there. Uh, instead, they chose to build around De'Aaron Fox and pair him with Demonis Sabonis. Um, they've been doing really well so far in their first couple games, and Sabonis is really good. He got a lot of slander when he was on the Pacers. One, nobody ever pays attention to the Pacers, so nobody really sees him. And he was in kind of a weird, odd couple relationship where him and... Miles Turner were both bigs that couldn't figure out 100% how to coexist. But that's a big one. Uh, people clown the Kings a lot for trading out Tyrese Halliburton, but we'll see how that ends up in the end. And just for clarification for all of our listeners out there, the Pacers acquired uh, Tyrese Halliburton. The Kings oh, didn't sorry. trade Tyrese Halliburton to the Kings. My bad. Good. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> uh, probably the biggest trade news was... Uh, ben Simmons and James Harden swap places. So the Nets have Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond in a couple picks. And the 76ers uh, acquired James Harden and Paul Millsap. 
Uh, Ben Simmons has been sitting out all season after he had a terrible playoff game series postseason, citing mental health issues and just basically saying, I'm never coming back to Philly. You should just trade me. Uh, They finally did manage to get him and swap him for James Harden, who recently seemed like he wanted to be out of Brooklyn. Uh, He came there to win a ring and with KD injured and Kyrie Irving only playing part time because he doesn't want to get vaccinated. Uh, It seems like maybe that was not what he signed up for. So two unhappy stars get swapped. They both seem like they are happy yet. We will see when they actually start playing for their new teams. But overall, I think it's a great trade just for the players on each side. And we'll see what team, quote unquote, can win that trade later on. Uh, There is a Philly Nets game coming up in like a month-ish or so. So keep an eye on that to see if Ben Simmons is active. I would bet he is not. Uh, The Pelicans got C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance, Tony Snell Jr. Uh, Portland got Josh Hart, Tomas Sadoransky, and a couple other or excuse me, a couple other players. So the Trailblazers were pretty active at the deadline. They shipped out Damian Lillard's running mate for quite a few years. They do claim they still want to build around Damian Lillard. So we will see how that proceeds. But just a, a bigger name on the move, Derek White, guard for the... Uh, San Antonio Spurs was traded to the Celtics. Uh, Marvin Bagley, well known for being picked before Luka Doncic and Trey Young, uh, was traded to the Pistons. And then Serge Ibaka is going to be on the Bucks now. He's providing some really needed big backup because uh, Lopez has been injured all season. So they finally have a little bit to spell them. They've been struggling a little bit in the center. Uh, Giannis has been playing a little bit more there as well, though. Uh, The All-Star Weekend is happening this weekend in the NBA. Just a really quick rundown. February, uh, Friday, February 18th, the Rising Stars game will be at 8 p.m. This is all central time. Uh, Saturday, February 19th, uh, starting at 7, we'll have the skills competition, the three-point competition, and then the dunk competition. And then the All-Star game will be on Sunday, February 20th at 7 p.m. as well. There are a host of smaller events and if you're curious definitely look that up celebrity game uh there's a g league game for the first time this year different stuff like that but definitely check it out should be fun all right and you said is, yeah. you mentioned there's there were like a lot of trades that actually happened but yeah. there were notably notably some teams that really didn't take any action at the trade deadline trade deadline most notably what teams did we expect some yeah. some movement from where they didn't have much at all. So the the two biggest teams for me that I feel like should have done something if they wanted to get somewhere this year. Uh, obviously, the Lakers have been toiling and this experiment adding Russell Westbrook in addition to the two main stars is not working out so far. Uh, you would have liked to see them move Westbrook somewhere, which is almost impossible with his level of play combined with his contract, or at least make some moves to try and make this roster work around them because it is not doing it currently. And then the other one that I was a little bit surprised about was the New York Knicks. Uh, they had kind of a fairy tale season last season. Nobody expected them to do that well. Julius Randle came out and was fantastic, and they made it a good way into the playoffs. They have not lived up to that this year. You expected a little bit of regression from Julius. He had a pretty bad month last month. He's playing a little bit better this month. But I was a little bit surprised they didn't try and strengthen themselves as well. Interesting fact there um, in the East, I believe the second through ninth place teams all traded this year. 
and the only team that was in the playoff playoffs playoff position, I guess, in the East that did not do anything was the Chicago Bulls. So people are really trying in the East. Everybody's beefing up. Everybody's trying to get better, which just shows we talked last time about the East versus the West. The West is very top heavy, but the East is really dense in the middle. And all of these teams have a chance if they have a good run to get a top seed and have home field advantage. Yeah, I was looking at some power rankings and you take power rankings for what there was, but the top three teams in the power rankings were all in the West, but then teams four through nine were all in the East. Yep. So yeah, that sort of speaks to what you were saying. So anyway. Um, right. Has anybody been enjoying spring training that started this week, right? Uh, I was supposed to. Spring training oh. would have started. Pitchers and catchers for most teams would have reported to spring training either uh, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday of this week. Um, most teams would report one of those three days. But, of course, that did not happen. Granted, minor leaguers, non-40-man roster guys, did report um, to spring training. But, I mean, people only care so much about that. Um, the lockout is still ongoing. The owners did make an offer to the players over the weekend. Um, but we're still not particularly close to a deal. Besides the fact that um, on the main economic issues, um, the owners didn't really get close to the players again. They just, you know, added a million dollars here and whatnot, which is nothing in the terms that they're talking about. Um, they also added a provision that would allow um, the league to cut. Um, Minor, the number of minor league players um, per team from 180 to as low as 150 over the course of the um, collective bargaining agreement. So basically what you're seeing is that not only did the players uh, owners not come up on the economic issues, they threw something else in there that was completely unacceptable to the players. We are not close to um, an agreement here. Um, we'll probably... They haven't officially announced the cancellation of any spring training games, but that is presumably coming here um, within the next couple of days. And realistically, they got about two weeks before opening day um, is in jeopardy. They'd have to have a deal in the next two weeks to get opening day on time, and I just don't see it happening. I'd say there's a less than than 25% chance we get a full 162-game full season this year at this point. It's just not good. Not good. Um, so it's, in, it's looking like we were wrong. I think you and I both said that there was no way we were going to cut into the season and we would probably miss spring training, but I figured we would be on track by the time the regular season goes around. But yeah, I've been surprised at the lack of progress on both sides. So it's definitely interesting. We'll see how long this lasts. Definitely has lasted longer than I think most people thought it would so far. Yeah, I figured they would get something done. We'll see. I still am... I still think there's a chance they do before we lose games, and I hope they do, but it, it's not easy to be optimistic right now, which is sad. Today should be the first first day of spring, and there's there's no spring this year. Spring's just not happening. No spring for anybody. Um, in Mike's Stupid Rules this week, we're going to talk about something that Kyle brought to um, the group's attention um, last week when Iowa State played Texas. Kyle noted that Texas was playing some noise during dead balls um during the game like just like random like out of bounds foul situations is that right Kyle does that accurately describe what they were doing yeah they were just playing like like some you know music that you typically hear at like mm -hmm. yeah so amplified music are permitted to play or be played only during any timeout 
intermission or instant replay review by the official, right? So that rule is pretty cut and dry that technically under NCAA rules, that is not allowed. You can only do it during a timeout, be it a media timeout or a call timeout by a team um, or um, the intermission or an instant replay review. Those are the only times it should be allowed. So in theory, um, Texas could be... um, charge an unsportsmanlike act for doing that under um, Rule 10, um, under Rule 10, where is it? Rule 10, Section 2, Article 8, that could be an unsportsmanlike act, which would be one free throw to the offended team and the ball put back into the play at the point of interruption. So in theory, the, the uh, in that case, it would be the Texas... DJ, I don't know, whatever you'd call him, could get called for an unsportsmanlike act, which would have been one Iowa State free throw and then just resume play normally. Um, I've never seen that enforced in college. Granted, I've never seen anybody really push it in college, but it might be interesting to see going forward. If anybody watches any Texas games, let us know if they're still seeing that and if you see the officials say anything about that because technically it is against the rules. Any questions on those, those two rules? No, it's, I mean, my only question is, like, why isn't it enforced then? Like, because I think I've noticed it before in Texas games, but being uneducated on Mike's stupid rules, I wasn't aware of, you know, the ramifications of that music being played and and what takes effect. So, like, I guess, why, why isn't it paid attention to? Why don't they take action on it? Yeah, I guess I I don't know. My guess is if a team complained, a visiting team complained about it, the officials would look at it. But my guess is nobody's complained. So who do I need to email? I'll do it. Uh, you can email Jamie Pollard. He always says oh, that, that is uh, true. He does like to complain. Well, and also Jamie Pollard has always said he's always there to uh, help the band with anything they need. As former band members, I, I like to think that applies to us too. So. That's true. I'll let him know. I'll be like, I am an alumni of the band. We've talked before. I need your help now. Please assist. Also, please sponsor us. Also, he's probably pretty busy because I believe he is still on the uh, selection committee. He is. Yeah, he is. This is probably a busy month for Jamie Pollard. So, I mean, you can still give it a try, but he might not get back to you. He's a little busy. I'll hit him up. Sounds good. Let us know how that goes. Will do. Um. Speaking of letting you know how things go, um, that's what we do in our accountability session of our write-that-down predictions. Um, when I started um, going through this, I thought it was going to be a good set because we are going to have a lot of NFL predictions that came off the board um, here um, at the end of the year that would lead to good things. And I was apparently very wrong because we've had a lot of predictions come off the board um, that led to bad things. A lot, lot of wrong predictions this week. But I'll get started with them. First was Wyatt's prediction that there would be a one-point safety in either college or the NFL this year. Um, on that weird uh, botched extra point, we were maybe a little bit close, um, but it definitely didn't happen. So for that, Wyatt gets a meh. Meh. We also did not have a fair catch kick this year, unless I missed it, Wyatt. Did you see a fair catch kick at all in the... And uh, in the NFL or college this year, I did not. Okay, so then uh, for that you get a nah. Um, I predicted that no NFL games would be forfeited because of COVID. 
Um, that is true. All of the NFL games did get played this year. A couple rescheduled, but no forfeits. So, ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. ding. Kyle predicted that Kyler Murray would win the MVP. That went to Aaron Rodgers. Kyler Murray didn't even get any votes. I mean, that. heck, he didn't even want to play in the fourth quarter of the playoff game. So, like, yeah. not MVP worthy. Not good. So for that, Kyle gets a nah. 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 Wyatt predicted the Super Bowl would end in a walk-off field goal. It did not. It ended in a QB kneel. So for that, um, Wyatt gets a nah. Nah. Josh predicted the Bengals would win the Super Bowl. The Rams did, so nah. 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 Kyle predicted that Evan McPherson would make three or more field goals and 100% of his kicks. He did make 100% of his kicks, but only two of them were field goals. Um, So for that, Kyle gets a nah. Nah. Josh predicted that the Bucks would pass the Bulls by the end of play last Sunday. They were a game behind the Bulls. So for that... Uh, Josh gets a nah. Nah. And to round out an awful set of predictions, Arian predicted the Super Bowl MVP would be a defensive or special teams player. There was a lot of talk that maybe it should have gone to Aaron Donald, but in the end it went to Cooper Cup, which I think is the right decision, by the way. Um, so for that, Arian gets a nah. Nah. Yeah, I he had a chance. I thought he had a, a chance at the end, but once Cooper Cup caught that second touchdown, I was like, okay, yeah, well, he's going to need sec- a fumble recovery or something to get back in there. So I was yeah. kind of expecting it. The second touchdown is what, what put it over the top for me. I mean, when your team only scores 23 points and you're responsible for two of, two of those touchdowns, that's probably a pretty good indication that you should be the Super Bowl MVP. Donald did have a good game, though. Do you guys think he's going to retire? There's a lot of speculation out there. I don't know. He kind of of alluded to it. I don't think he will. Uh, Maybe he's in it for one more run it back. But for a guy who's literally only missed two games in his career, both non-injury related, it's it's one heck of a career. He was definitely way more available than than, uh, J.J. Watt ever was. Yeah, and I mean, I was thinking, like, no way. There's no way that he does that. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I guess Andrew Luck just, like, was done randomly, so. But Andrew, I mean, Luck, had a, Andrew Luck had a big injury history, right? Right, but we've seen a couple other defensive guys just say, there's a middle linebacker that I'm blanking uh, on the name Keekly. of right now. Yeah, Keekly. I mean, we see guys who are just, like, you know, maybe even before, I think the 49ers had one, too. They just uh, retire early before they have a big injury. Like, I made my money. I did everything I want to do. He's accomplished everything he needs to do. He could retire right now, and you can make an argument. He's one of the best defensive players you've ever seen yeah, or has ever player. played the game. And if you want to dip now and just jump on the NFL Network or whatever in two years and keep making money talking about games, he could do that. And I'm sure he would be just as happy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't mean, think we'll... it could happen. I don't think it will. I don't think it will, but I could certainly see it. I, I get the allure of doing that. Yeah. Um, anyway, getting predictions back up off on the board, I am going to um, get an NFL offseason prediction started, and I'm going to make the same prediction I did um, last year, and I'm going to predict that at least 12 NFL teams have different starting quarterbacks in week one of next season than they had um, at the end of this season. So specifically at the end, so not necessarily at, not at the start, at the end. I mean, we know for sure Tampa Bay is going to be one. The Bucks will have a different starting quarterback. 
Let's see. Hey, that's a that's a big number. At least I, I'm pretty sure that's the number I used um, when I made this prediction previously. Let me double check. Yep, twelve or more was the one I made last time as well. What did we give you last time? Uh, last time I had got a home run for that. I mean, that's still kind of the vibe checks real on a home run, in my opinion. That's well, all right. Mm, I think. I think it's going to be even less likely this season just because of the weakness of the draft class for quarterback. Um, and I don't think there's that many quarterbacks who are going to be available for trade. I mean, you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Cousins, and I mean, those are your big name guys. I think it might be harder to get to 12 this year than it was last year. Uh so probably another home run, literally just talking myself into it. Home run yeah. it is. Yeah, home run. All right. Anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Um, yes, he's still alive. He's still doing well. Uh, he enjoyed watching the Super Bowl, as most of us did, I'm sure. Um, and he is projecting that um, Aaron Rodgers will leave the Packers this offseason. So that would be another team with a new starting quarterback, if Josh is correct. Probably two. The Packers and whoever he goes to, though he could just retire. I feel like he probably should retire. It seems less likely now than I thought it did at the end of the season. I feel like I've seen some reports that are saying it seems like he may stay. Honestly, I, I don't know. I, he's hard to pin down. I'll say that. That's true. He really is. He spent all last season complaining and whining off season, saying he was going to retire. Then he came back and was happy as a clam this entire season, basically. So. I'm not exactly sure where his mind is at. Um, I don't think anyone knows. Literally the closest to know, literally the closest person maybe to even know right now might be Pat McAfee, and he even has no idea. So, you would uh, hope his like, wife would know, maybe? He's not married, is he? Yes. Yeah, Shailene Woodley, right? Isn't that just a girlfriend, or are they married now? I thought they were married, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure they're married. Is Aaron Rodgers married? This is real-time research, folks. As of November 16th, 2021, they are engaged but not married. Okay. Um, so unless they got married in the last four months, which is possible. Wife-to-be. Yes. So we're thinking uh, triple, home run? They triple. Yeah, probably. That's fine with me. I, with the, uh, the recent drama development in the Cardinals franchise, I'm... Say that Kyler Murray leaves Arizona. Another team with a new starting quarterback. What's so? What's the status of his contract? When was he drafted? How many years are left on his rookie deal? I, I mean, there's always the option of retirement, I guess. But he's not going he to play, play baseball. Except baseball is happening. Play baseball. Nobody's not playing baseball. <laughs> True that. That was originally my prediction: is that he left for the MLB, but I, uh, I scrubbed. We'd that give you quick. a home run for that. Yeah. Uh, I'm probably going to say it's about the same likelihood that Aaron Rodgers leaves, right? So another trip. Probably, yeah. Unless someone thinks there's any factor that would bring it up or down from that. I mean, he unfollowed the Cardinals on Instagram. Did you guys see what they did in response? They literally deleted all of their posts except for the ones that included him. Yeah. Things get weird when people who are raised on social media run things. Like, yeah, it's weird I, now. I don't get it. Like, what is... I don't get it. So, triple... 
Yeah, unless someone gives me a reason not to, I'm saying triple. I don't think Fine, there's I a don't. reason not to. I'd be shocked if he left, honestly. I'd be too, more yeah. shocked if he left than if Aaron Rodgers leaves, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I get I get more of a Ben Simmons vibe from that than than anything. So we'll see. Uh I have that the Cyclone women, the women's basketball team, will win the Big Twelve tournament. Yeah. Double at best? Yeah, at I best. think double is fair. I think it would still be it I mean it's still tough. You're gonna have to probably get through two of Oklahoma, Baylor, and Texas to win that tournament. Um Granted, the tournament moved to Kansas City, or is it still in Oklahoma? It's, City? it's in Kansas City. It's in that, the municipal auditorium. That, that does help the, the cycles that you're a little further away from. Uh, but it, it's not a single. Not when you got to go oh, through no. those three teams. No, I'm still saying double. I agree. Oh, okay. I was, I was like, y'all better not be discussing single here. I'm gonna riot, <laughs> riot for that. I'll, I'll go with double. You got it, man. All right, my prediction. Uh, we're coming out of the NBA. I'm going to say that Ben Simmons hits a three-pointer within his first 10 games as a Brooklyn net. Now, to give you a little background, uh, he, he this man one does not shoot three. One, yes. one three total, at least one three total, or at least one three per game? He will make one total. One total, okay. And for his career, that includes 17-18 to 20-21 seasons. Uh, he is 5 of 34. His first season, he went 0 of 11. Second season, 0 of 6. Third season, 2 of 7. Last time, he went 3 of 10, though, so that's pretty good. But I'm going to say he makes one in his first 10 games. Okay, well... Just so to spite Philadelphia. Let's see. So, he shoots one, like, once every eight games-ish. And that is... So, 34 out of his 3,188 field goal attempts. Yeah. I've been a three-pointer. So he shoots one. He makes 1.3% of the time. Um, so he makes a three about once every 27 games. That's actually average. pretty good. I mean, seeing as the Cyclone women have hit a three in like, what is it, like 400 straight games or something? forgot the stat. But anyway, hitting one every 27 games is not that great. Well, he's played in 275 games. So what, 275 divided by five? So actually like one every 55 games. Okay. I was just going ba- completely on last year's percentage. Yeah. Total for his so. career, he's hitting one every 55 games. This so seems one a season. Like a triple probably to me. A yeah. triple? That's a home run if I've ever heard one. I mean, you're saying in like one pick 50, right? Is that the? Is that how that works out? What was that? What was his to- total stat per game? You said one per fifty. One every fifty-five games. Yeah. So th- if you go with that number, that's probably a home run. If you go with my number, it's probably a triple. So do you go with his career numbers or his numbers from last year? And then you can decide, vote between triple or home run. I vote triple. You go with, I. You gotta go with his career numbers, not just one season. You improve okay. throughout your career, right? So Kyle Ball's home run. Not improving through on that has been one of the main facets of his career, but... I mean, he did over the, the, the stats that you listed, right? Yeah, technically. But not quickly improving. No. I don't know. Uh, maybe he's uh, been using his time to hone in his three-point uh, <laughs> <laughs> game. He's going to be the next Steph Curry. I would love I, that. I'm more towards a triple than I am a home run. All right. Triple so two triples, and that's how democracy works. 
here at least. I will not con I will not contest. Not everybody likes a democracy on the 8311 cast, but do you know what everybody does like? That's following the 8311 cast Twitter account on Twitter. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you follow Twitter it. accounts on Twitter? <laughs> Thank you, Wyatt. You're welcome. Signing off We're putting out the eleven cast, we have your hosts. Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig. Ariam Barry. And Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.